0: The Samson Barbecue Grill is the official grill of backyard fun for you and your... F- mosquitoes. Whether you're grilling for one or feeding the whole... N- Brood of Mosquitoes. Our durable and portable grills are perfect for patios, backyards, and... Engorged Mosquitoes. Don't let mosquitoes ruin the moment. Orkin. Home is where the bugs aren't. Visit orkin.com to learn more.
1: Hello. Welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast, I'm Joe Devine. Today I was joined by Alex Stewart and since it was the international break just before we recorded the podcast, uh, we thought we'd do something uh, slightly different and do the rounds, move away from the Premier League. Um, so this week we talked about the Championship, largely the potential promoted teams come the end of the season. The top four, including specifically Cardiff, Fulham and Wolves, Aston Villa have a cursory mention. So without further ado, here's the Jazz
0: Flute.
1: Okay, so we're going to look at the the championship today. One of the reasons for this is because it's nearing the end of the season. There are, of course, eight games left. However, Alex, the way that you see it,
0: the top four may remain the top four come the end of the season, right? I think it's unlikely that that anyone will come up into that. Um, Middlesbrough, possibly. uh, They they have recent good form. They've um, won four and drawn two of their last six. And they do look to be doing well under Tony Pulis. I think Derby are seven points behind as well. They do have a game in hand, but their recent form hasn't been fantastic. And Derby are one of these sides that quite often in the last sort of three or four seasons has flattered to deceive. So they, they, they start well, they look like they're doing all right. And then the wheels come off. So I think there's probably enough of a cushion um, for those top four sides. Certainly I would say Wolves and Cardiff more or less a guaranteed automatic promotion, um, and Fulham and Villa do look like the two best sides of of what's remaining, so I'd expect so. Interestingly, uh, and sort of
1: by by coincidence, really, um, we have covered three of the top. We've covered the top three teams. Uh, we made a tactics video about Wolves uh, a few months back. Uh, we touched on Cardiff City last week, and uh, we we touched on Fulham when we made a video about uh, Ryan Sessegnon. Um, So I just wanted to go through those teams again in brief and maybe uh, talk about Wolves to begin with, because they're the sort of in-form championship side, or at least have been for the the entire season, and they play in a way that is probably traditionally very un-championship-like. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, I think the the championship is sometimes unfairly characterised as being the sort of league where you need to play very physically, you need to have experienced players who know what it's like to battle it out and i i think possibly because the season is so long um that teams who can remain focused and who can i suppose play in a rather pragmatic way um often are the ones that do quite well wolves are playing with with i suppose genuine style um they're the only team of the, the top four that play with three at the back. Cardiff have used it a few times, but not with any regularity, whereas Wolves have been totally consistent through the season. They press a lot. They play a possession-based style of football. To be fair, Fulham do that as well. But it's, I think it's, it's nice to see teams who are um, maybe stretching the expectations and playing the sort of stylish football that to be fair, if you get promoted, you generally by and large, and I'd say Burnley maybe were an exception when they came up, but, um, you know, you need to have that extra bit of quality. Otherwise, if you play the kind of lumpen style of football that, that may work in the championship, you're going to get done very easily in the premier league. Well, this was going to be my next
1: question regarding Wolves actually, because it looks like they're definitely going to be promoted. I think that's fair to say. Um, under manager Nuno Espirito Santo they are playing this very sort of uh, I don't know how you would put it creative lineup let's say um and we've seen teams before uh who have arrived in the in the Premier League and I remember Blackpool was a great example of this to me uh Ian Holloway's Blackpool um with with Charlie Adam when he first arrived in the Premier League and they had this uh Philosophy that they just wanted to score more goals than they conceded, and it created for very entertaining football. But you know they conceded like a record number, and eventually were relegated despite actually having some good attacking players and playing quite well. And so I suppose I wanted to ask you, um, with Wolves in mind, uh, is it always you know a, a team's always doomed if they if they try something like this when they, they come up? Our, our are cha- our are promoted Championship sides better off? taking that sort of stoic defensive approach or how, how do you see that and how do you think more specifically um, Wolves will will manage in the Premier League next season?
0: I think the answer to that question is is entirely dependent on the kind of squad you've got. And if you're a Burnley, for example, and you're able to drill your squad to play a certain kind of way and you've got the right sort of players for that. So you've got hard working wide players you've got very capable centre backs and a strong goalkeeper then there is clearly as burnley have shown in the last few seasons there's a a benefit to be derived from from being compact and defensively minded i think by and large the the teams that come up and and try and play with a kind of swagger like that and blackpool's a good example derby's disastrous season i think it was it 2006 7 something like that um same thing, try to play expansively um, and it just didn't work. But the reason it didn't work was because they weren't strong enough at the back. They didn't have that cohesion that you need to keep out the sorts of players that you come across in, in the Premier League. Now, Wolves have a system where while they play three at the back, they do transition very capably into a, a five-man back line and a four in midfield with the with the lone striker up ahead It is much more defensively solid than being, say, a a 4-4-2 playing side who likes to try and play it around and keep it on the floor and swashbuckle their way forwards, but actually leaves gaps or leaves room to to be exploited in the wide spaces. Wolves don't do that. So their goals against record is really, really good as well. Um, Only Cardiff have, have conceded fewer. While Wolves have actually scored three more than Fulham, who are the next best scoring side. So I think Wolves do have that balance. I think they can play attractively while also having the sort of defensive structure that that should see them OK. Clearly, the, the key thing with Wolves is the, I, I don't want to say off the pitch stuff, because it does um, impact on who who plays but you know a couple of their strongest players are on loan um, they they do have uh, potential issues around the, the level of investment that's gone into that side whether the club's making a profit or not compliance with financial regulations that kind of thing so you know it, in this respect Diego Jota and uh, Leo Bonatini they're both on loan they've scored 25 goals in the league between them they might leave they might have buyout clauses that we don't know about they might get replaced by other loanees that are equally good if not better so in terms of the playing squad and the the kind of the financial element of it there's a lot of unknowns around that yeah I remember that being the case with with Huddersfield last year when they were promoted uh
1: David Wagner had assembled this sort of um you know, specialist team of of low knees in the se- in that season in the championship. One they were promoted. Some of those were was, were swapped out when they arrived in the Premier League. So, you can definitely have a big effect on a team, particularly two players who are so central to their ability to score goals. Even if they do find uh, strikers who are on paper better, there's still a period of, of melding with those new players, isn't oh, there? Oh, definitely. So there's always potential problems in, in, in situations yeah, like I think, that.
0: I think Huddersfield are an interesting analogy because they did play um an attractive style of football and and particularly in the championship um they they were probably the closest thing to a kind of um Borussia Dortmund style gegen-pressing team that the championships ever seen and and that there there's a, an argument i suppose to say that maybe when they came up um there was enough of an element of surprise at the beginning of this season when they got some good results to to get them into a position reasonably quickly where obviously by no means were they safe, but they had sufficient momentum through the early part of the season when the way they were playing was still a surprise. Quite a lot of those players would have been an unknown quantity. Um, And that sort of carried them to the point where now, even as the results are dropping off and things aren't looking quite so good for them, um, they're probably going to be fine anyway. That That is also a reflection of the fact that there are one or two really bad teams in the Premier League this season. But, you know, I think Huddersfield have shown that you, you can remain fairly true to your style of play that works in the Championship, bring it into the Premier League, and with some adjustments, um, probably, you know, a greater degree of cohesion, a greater degree of solidity defensively, because it would be ridiculous not to to privilege that you know if you've got attacking players that will set the championship on fire that is not going to be good enough on its own to carry you through a premier league season you do need to work on your defense as well but Huddersfield show that you can do that and I think Wagner's done very very well um you know I I think Brighton as well um you know they they have got they've certainly got a good defense but but they you know they encourage their attacking players, particularly Pascal Gross, who I'm a huge fan of, to to continue to play attractively and to look for through balls and to try and create things that it, you know they're not just set up to to try and block and clear. So you know I I think it looks good for Wolves, um, and it'll be interesting to see. You know I think the the teams that are probably going down from the Premier League this season. I, I'm I'm not. Really sure if there's a, a newly promoted side that you'd be especially concerned about actually
1: i don 't think so I mean I think if there was a, a side to be concerned about it's potentially um Huddersfield who in terms of their distance from the bottom three is only three points, but they are in fifteenth place so, they are and, you know, and also on the, on, on the face of things they don't look it doesn 't look so bad although in theory they could easily be brought into that I'd no say.
0: that's true they've they've also they 've got more wins in their last six than any of the other sides mm. that are below them. Um yeah. you know, Palace have only won one after a run of four losses, West Ham have won one, Southampton have won one. So, you know, I think I think there's there's maybe a bit more momentum to Huddersfield.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting to to look at the table at the moment, actually, because as we say, of the promoted teams, uh, Brighton the first, closely followed by Newcastle, closely followed by Huddersfield, but none of whom are, are in the bottom three. And actually, the relegation zone currently is made up by teams uh, like Southampton, Stoke City, and West Brom, who we wouldn't have been that surprised to see in even the top half of the of the table, would we? No,
0: they. I mean, those those three clubs you've named, and arguably Palace and West Ham, were sort of, you know, all the mid table stalwarts who particularly I'd say Southampton and Stoke have had, you know, aspirations to, to break into the top half and and Southampton obviously, you know, have had, they had a, a high finish under Pochettino. They did reasonably well under Kerman. So their fall from grace has been pretty spectacular um, as a Southampton fan, obviously for me, slightly dispiriting. Um, but, no I think it's it's interesting. I mean Newcastle are the most pragmatic I would say of the three promoted sides um and that's partly because in Benitez they've they have got a manager who who understands the Premier League in a way I think it's fair to say that Chris hutton and, and David Wagner probably don't um, and he you know he Rafa Benitez knows what it takes to to stay up and do well. And he's, I think he'll be very comfortable having done enough this season, almost certainly to be safe. I mean, I think West Brom really do look doomed. I mean, there's there's seven games left, but they're seven points adrift. Um, Southampton, I still feel can sneak out of it. Um, And I'd say that West Ham will probably be, along with Stoke, um, the three to go down. I, I've seen. I don't know. P- Palace are a quandary, aren't they? I mean, they, they've they've got a they've got enough good players that you you just assume that they would be okay. Um, I think that that what's happening off the pitch at West Ham will probably have a significant impact as well um, on you know that 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 squad will be feeling an enormous amount of pressure and uncertainty because of everything that's going on with the ownership structure, the recent trouble. Um, at the, uh, the the ground, and you know it, it's not a good atmosphere to then have the pressure of a relegation struggle against. No, no,
1: okay. But well let's take it back to the championship and look at those top teams again. Um, moving on to Cardiff City, uh, who we made a recent uh, tactics explained video about. One of the interesting. Um, well, I suppose the interesting sort of theme of this tactics explained video on Cardiff was the idea that they're not just a, a long ball team. They're not a team that are just punting the ball up the top and uh, and hoping for the best. There's uh, there's method in uh, the uh, the long ball.
0: There's <laughs> method in Warnock's madness.
1: Really yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing, I and mean, you you describe Neil Warnock as a, as a kind of pragmatist in a way. Uh but again we're a very methodical pragmatist, let's say.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. And I, I you know, I think it's probably surprised me when I when I did the research for this video. Um because Warnock has that reputation. Um I've seen bits and pieces of Cardiff this season and you know the ball's been in the air quite a lot. Um and in terms of, you know, the Kenneth Sahora up front is massive Sol bamber at the back is massive. They've got a centre back playing at right back. So you know there's it's very easy to stereotype them as a side and, and think this is what they do. You know, they'll they'll launch it forwards. And I, I think what really impressed me was um well two things really. The the defensive organization the fact that they they defend quite aggressively and i wouldn't necessarily call it pressing i it, it's more sort of stepping out and how the other players around then drop in so that the you know the back line left to right rearranges itself consistently across the course of a game with different players occupying different positions but there's a cohesion there. They know what they're doing, and the communication among that team is is obviously really, really strong. And I think Neil Etheridge and Gold deserves a lot of credit for for you know the the way that he can tell players where to go, and and you know he's he's clearly yeah. he's clearly a he's the nucleus of that. Well, management. he's observing a lot of what's going on in front of him. I mean, don't get me wrong; he's a good shot stopper when called on as well. But you know, if 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 you just said to those players, All "Right, I want you to just." Push out and close down the man closest to you. That in itself isn't going to work. You need to have a kind of guiding mind behind that, who's shouting instructions and saying, "Right, you push up here, you tuck in there." Um, And then again, yes, I think like once once the ball has transitioned forward quickly, which they like to do, and particularly you know they will hit long balls to Zahora as an out. But once the ball is on the ground in the final third, they've actually got players that are capable of, of. you know playing very attractive football and and a lot of their goals have been scored when the ball is knocked down or or played across and it's a it's a late arriving midfielder like Callum Patterson um Joe Rolls has got quite a few as well doing that and and that's you know that's not just lumping it in and scoring headers that's that's the sort of play that that is creating space at the top of the box for those midfielders to run onto and score and and that's Chelsea, two thousand and four. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, in terms of in terms of that use of of a late yeah, of arriving central midfielder like Lampard, exactly. Yeah. That's what it reminds yeah, me. There's, of, there's, yeah, it's it's not dissimilar in that respect, um, and I think you know you can't. It's all very well lumping balls up and trying to get a knockdown for someone to half-volley it in. If you watch Cardiff, that's not what's happening. They are very deliberately and effectively creating space at the the top of the box area, with uh, particularly the wide players working very, very hard to get to the byline. So dragging defenders this way and that. Um it's, you know, it's it's very deliberate. I have to say as well, I think one of the things
1: I, I enjoyed uh, uh, about making the video or working on the video was um, uh, reading about Zahora because I, I really like the idea of a striker, a little bit like um, from the Emil, Hes- Emil Hesky video that we made. I really like the idea of a striker who, sure, he does score goals. But uh, you know his main focus is as mu- as much as doing that is also to facilitate the rest of the attack and al- almost be a kind of a, a selfless player in that in that spearheading role, you know. And Zahora strikes me as someone who who does that very well,
0: very well. Yes, absolutely. And and I think actually this this team is is full of individuals that are prepared to to do what's required and work really hard. I mean, if you if you track Joe Bennett, the left back, through the course of a game, he is cropping up. All over the place. Um, Junior Hoyler, who you know, I, I think was sort of rated as quite a prospect when he was at QPR, um, but but maybe you know shades of a, a slightly dilettantish player who was interested in tricks and and you know running fast down the byline and looking for a cross. You know he works so hard from that wing That's position. A great testament to the manager. I, I think it is. I, I think you know this is. This is where we say maybe that cliche about the the championship does have some um, relevance, maybe is the word. You know, people like Neil Warnock, Tony Pulis, who are man managers, who are able to inspire a certain kind of work ethic or maybe bully it into players to a degree, you know, they, they do get results. You still have to have a footballing brain to be able to come up with that sort of defensive structure. And that's why I think it's important to say, that Warnock is not just somebody who shouts at players to motivate them and gets them to punt it long. Like, the evidence of the team playing on the pitch is clearly that he is more than that. Sounds like he's the new or old Sean Dyche. Well, I, I mean, Dyche is interesting. Oh, high praise. Well, I, look, what has he done in terms of
1: he's... He looks like an eagle. He, lo- <laughs> uh, he, he, he looks also looks like a, he could have been in labyrinth. Without uh, any makeup, but uh, well that—that's you know, true. Do, I, can you say that for Sean Dyche? Yeah, you probably can. I well, you, yeah, you probably could say that for Sean Dyche as well. Yeah, actually, they—they they both could have been in. And when I say labyrinth, people, I'm, I'm talking about uh, the David Bowie's labyrinth, the film with David Bowie in, you know, with the girl
0: and the baby in the maze and the weird, you know, you know the labyrinth the weirdness. Yeah, the weirdness. I, I think he's um, he's created an intelligent defensive structure that works for his team and harnesses the the skills particularly of someone like Sol Bamba, who who is almost equally adept playing as a centre-back as he is a defensive midfielder so he is used to stepping up he's used to carrying the ball a bit um and in that regard there is something sort of Sean Dyche about it in terms of getting his players to defend in a way that is more intelligent than simply trying to hold a line and clear the ball yeah, uh, yeah, as well as obviously that clear labyrinth overlap <laughs> okay
1: well uh, congratulations to Neil Warnock high praise indeed uh, from Alex Stewart right let, let, let's before we finish let's cover Fulham um, I'm going to ignore Aston Villa because we haven't made a video about them and because I feel like it even though I love Steve Bruce even though, even though I, do, I do honestly love Steve Bruce he's one of my favourite characters from football land Steve Bruce that wonderful uncle that we all wish we had Just a sweet, just a sweet, kind man, and things never go right for Steve Bruce. You know, things often go wrong for him, and uh, he just keeps, he keeps tucking away. You know. Anyway, we're ignoring him though. Fulham, uh, a team whom I don't know much about, with the exception of knowing an awful lot about Ryan Sessegnon uh, by virtue of the fact that we made a video about him. Uh, So tell us a little bit about Fulham, Alex. I hear that they're silky.
0: Fulham are great. Fulham are a really, really good side. And it's interesting because I remember, you know, Fulham from when they were back in the Premier League and had another labyrinth possible cast member in Danny Murphy um, pulling the strings from midfield for them. And and there was, you know, Fulham were a team who had a, a kind of footballing identity. They did, They did like to play a certain way. They certainly kept possession they they 've had some very strong midfielders creative midfielders in that time, and this Fulham team again seems to have a, a genuine kind of footballing identity, obviously yes, Brian Sesignor is amazing and yeah, i don't yeah. i don't think I can overstate how much pleasure I get from watching him uh the loans <laughs> i don 't know why that's funny this Sorry, sorry. I was just uh, I was just laughing at the
1: idea of you having more pleasure than you can state. <laughs> People might not get that. If you knew Alex Stewart personally, you, you might find that funny as well. Please uh, continue, Alex.
0: With Sessegnon, they've also added uh, Alexandra Mitrovic uh, as a loan signing, and he's got seven goals already. He adds possibly the one thing that Fulham were missing, which is a bit of a blunt edge. I mean, I think Mitrovic is a better player than just a blunt edge, but he's, he's physically imposing and he's aggressive and is able to disrupt uh, the opposition's defensive structure in a way that maybe there wasn't perhaps anyone at Fulham who could do in the same way. They, you know, they, they, they play possession football. They like to, to, work it into positions from which they can then you know they don't rush it's it's not helter-skelter it's it's quite methodical it's quite intelligent there's a lot of interaction with the with the midfielders Sessegnor obviously does a lot of work up and down the left which then allows him to get into these scoring positions in the box I mean he kind of he's he's like a a left wing back for most of the game. And then every so often he's basically playing like Michael Owen did when he was 18. You know, he's, he's right in the box to, to jump on any opportunities. It's, there's a fluidity to that team and there's an understanding to that team, which is, is pretty remarkable when you watch it. Um, and they certainly, if they do go up, which I'm, you know, I think is probably the most, likely, I think it's going to be the three teams that we discussed that, that go up. Um, Wolves and Fulham are closer in style to one another than than Cardiff is to them. It will be an interesting contrast if those three do go up to see whether you know Wolves three at the back or Fulham's four at the back but with a similar kind of passing pressing style or Cardiff's much more direct style whether you know which of those actually prospers in the premier league i can see them all doing quite well i fear probably that if those are the three that do go up cardiff will be the one that comes back down um and it'll be interesting to see for example whether fulham try to make the Mitrovic signing permanent over the summer because i think that would be a a sensible move from them um they uh, i'm not entirely convinced that they've got somebody else. I mean, he's already their second highest scorer and he's only, you know, started seven games and been a sub in, in two. Obviously their highest scorer is Sessignal because he's amazing. Um, but you know, he's, he's come in and, and made a significant impact. I think what's also interesting about Fulham's squad is that there aren't really any kind of standout names. Um, much like Cardiff, actually, you know, if you look at Wolves and you've, you've been keeping an eye on particularly Portuguese or Spanish football for a while. There's a few players in there. who You're like, Oh wow, they're playing for wolves. Whereas, you know, Cardiff and Fulham are kind of built sensibly. They're not, you know, there's no massive money signings in there. There's, there's nobody who's necessarily that likely to get poached. So they, they probably will be able to keep the bulk of their squad together if they want to. And then, um yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens and who they get passed by on the other way, West Brom.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say, because uh, I think we're talking about the possibility of two, uh, you know, rather creative teams being promoted from the championship. And uh, we're looking at the, the the distinct possibility of two. Perhaps this is unfair to say of Stoke City uh, in in it certainly in the current climate, it's been a long time since Pulis. However, I do note that it is possible that West Brom, Stoke, and P- Crystal Palace will all go down at the same time. The post the post Pulis team, yeah. um, but uh, we could we could be uh, losing a lot of chaff from the Premier League. Let's put let's put it that way. Um, and that's an, that's an interesting theme. If if
0: if it is a theme, I think that there's certainly something to be said for that. I think. You know, there's been quite a lot of talk this season about the fact that there are a number of teams, obviously Man City, but I think you can throw Liverpool into that. You can throw maybe Manchester United occasionally, but also some of the teams that are, um, you know, Spurs definitely, by the way. Um, there There are teams that are trying to play attractive, interesting football in the Premier League. Some of those teams are really, really good and have got really, really good players and a lot of other teams have counteracted that by becoming defensive and quite stale and and looking to kind of you know sit back in a block and and there's been criticism of this disparity that has opened up. Now, it's it's an interesting one because I remember doing some stats stuff on on Bournemouth and Southampton and and they Bournemouth and Southampton stylistically actually surprisingly similar the only real difference is that that Bournemouth are sometimes able to finish their scoring chances to a greater degree than Southampton are and are not quite as bad at um uh, at, at not hanging on to a lead but in terms of the way they play there's very little to choose between them and that's, I, my point with that was, was kind of looking at it and going, well, I, you know, I don't feel they should be as low as they are because the, because a lot of their other metrics can play pretty favorably with teams that are towards the upper end, whereas the teams that weren't anywhere near that in terms of the creation of chances, in terms of how much they're able to, to move the ball quickly into attacking positions, that kind of stuff you are looking at at West Brom, at Stoke, at West Ham, at Palace, at Swansea. And so it's not really a surprise to see those teams towards the bottom end, because I think what, what it's shown is it's not necessarily going to work. It's not working in Southampton's case, but that is because they're not scoring. It's not because they're not creating. And that's been a problem that, that we've had for three, four seasons now, but if you play attractive football, if you try and keep the ball, if you try and work it quite quickly into half spaces and then pull back, that kind of style of football, particularly that Fulham are playing, then you know it does work. As, as long as you've got someone to finish it, it does work. And teams that, that are more uh, reactive, more defensive, generally speaking, it, it's not working. So, you know, maybe it is time stylistically. You, you you get this in, I don't know, you look at something like basketball, you will see patterns of teams changing kind of, there'll, there'll be one or two teams that change the offensive style quite quickly. And then there's a general move over the course of a season or two and everyone else catches up. And then you find that for the next five seasons, they're all playing the same kind of offensive style or they're all playing the same kind of defensive style. But, you know, there's uh, in basketball, it's this kind of move towards having multifunctional players who might have the size of, you know, a center, but can play as a point guard. It's I think you you probably get that in football as well. You know, it may be that there's a longer duration because the games don't come as thick and fast. You don't have to, or you don't, it doesn't appear to you that you have to adapt so quickly. But if there's a general move towards this kind of style, and if you can look at a team like Huddersfield and say, okay, they're in 15th and they're not that far above the relegation zone, but look at the way that they came up from the championship. Look at some of the results they've got this season. Similarly with Brighton, you know, there is. There's definitely an argument to say that if you don't sit back, if you try and take the game to the opponent, if you try and play a certain way, like you can get results from that, even if your squad isn't amazing. Whereas if you play like West Brom, you know it's just not going to work enough.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, well, thank you very much for uh, for, for joining us, Alex, and um, we'll we'll speak to you again next week. I look forward to it.